You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Life Church today. We have a special treat for you, and I am actually really thrilled to introduce our guest speaker, my dear friend Eric Cooper. Now, Eric and I have actually journeyed across the continent sharing the mission of the love and the hope of Jesus Christ to uh, almost every corner of the globe, it seems. Uh, Together, we have witnessed the incredible work of our missionaries who are really the true heroes of our fellowship. Uh, As the president of the Stone Table and a key partner with us here at Life Church, Eric has been instrumental in the efforts to make a positive impact in this world. And this year, we're gearing up to do even more good together. At Life Church, we're really passionate about reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel, but we're also passionate about ministering to the people that are right in the path of our everyday lives. And Eric has demonstrated this in his book, Missional Marketplace, Finding your everyday work in God's eternal plan. And I'm excited for him to share with us some of the insights of the wealth of his experience and his wisdom this morning. So, would you give a Life Church welcome to our friend Eric Cooper and uh, get ready to be inspired and uplifted by his message? Let's welcome Eric. Well, good morning. My name is Eric Cooper. I am the president, uh, as Pastor Nathan said, of the Stone Table. And I cannot tell you what an honor it is for me to be here with you at Life Church today across all four campuses. I've been looking forward to this weekend actually for a long, long time. Anytime I get the opportunity to point to Jesus and to talk about global missions about taking the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. It gets me really jazzed up. So uh, the Stone Table may or may not be a name that you've heard around here before, but we have had the joy of working with Life Church now, partnering together on so many priority global missions projects around the world since, I believe, 2017. And Pastor Nathan and I, as he said, have, have literally been all over the world together, uh, from Israel to China, to India, to the Arab Peninsula, to East Africa, engaging with missionaries and missions projects that are vital to our great commission calling as the people of God in the world. And I just want to affirm to you, your pastor is a legitimately wonderful guy with a huge heart for Jesus and for the world. And we have grown to really love Nathan and Christina and all of you here at Life Church uh, over these years. So this year, the Stone Table had the joy of joining with you and a dozen other churches to fund 18 priority missions projects in the Asia-Pacific region. And I can report back that together, we just raised just shy of $2.5 million and were able to fund all 18 of these priority projects in the Asia-Pacific region. So I just want to say on behalf uh, of the Stone Table, of our friends at AGWM, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, 
for helping those with little access to the gospel hear the good news that Jesus is king, right? In addition, I want to say uh, just an extra thanks to Pastor Nathan, to Christina, to all the campus pastors uh, for trusting me uh, with this platform in this moment today. Uh, I was a pastor for 12 years, and even though I work in the marketplace, I work in a business setting today, my heart and passion really for the local church and for preaching the gospel has not changed. So it is truly an honor to share with you on this Kingdom Builders weekend here at Life Church. Uh, just for some quick additional context on the stone table, we like to say that we are a global missions organization that is rooted in the marketplace. So by day, for the last three decades or so, we have run a real estate nonprofit company that owns, manages, and constructs affordable multifamily housing and now affordable assisted living facilities, mostly around the state of Indiana. And we believe Really, our, our marketplace work allows us to engage and demonstrate the gospel in tangible ways through business, through the marketplace, through our everyday work every day. Uh, we get to embrace what we call the creation mandate from Genesis 1 and 2, where God called us as his people to work and keep his creation. And we've had the joy of giving away our profits to global missions projects um, to see the name of Jesus go to the ends of the earth. Our real estate company was founded, really, for the express purpose of cr creating sustainable, ongoing revenue for global missions projects around the world. And since day one in 1992, when there was very little money, so this was a very easy calculation back then, but we have given a minimum of 50% of our available cash flow at the end of every year, goes right out the door to Priority Missions Projects, and we've gotten to do that in recent years with great partners like all of you guys here at Life Church. So I, I love to say our founders really built the Great Commission into our business model. <laughs> it's been right there from the get-go. One of the key phrases that we use at the Stone Table is accelerating the Great Commission through the marketplace. So we are big believers that marketplace believers, both local and global, are actually a vital part of God's Great Commission game plan for the world. So I, I'm not going to talk as much today about the business and marketplace side of our work, but if you're interested, you can actually hit this QR code or go to thestonetable.org forward slash start. We've got a whole bunch of free stuff for you there. We're not, we're not going to sell you anything. You can download a free ebook there on faith and work. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is really just aimed at encouraging marketplace believers to engage their everyday work through the lens of the gospel and through their faith. Um, you can also get access to tons of other free video and written content to hopefully equip and empower you in your everyday work. We've got some exciting things coming in 2024 um, that I can't wait to announce uh, later this year. Uh, but today, today is your Kingdom Builders Sunday. So I'm going to do my best really to stoke our global missions gene, right? I'm going to do the, my best to, to stoke the Great Commission fires, and nothing could excite me more than the opportunity to do that today because the global glory of Jesus, the glory of Jesus amongst every nation, tribe, and tongue is the ultimate storyline. It is the meta-narrative of the whole of Scripture. We see it starting in Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 
22. So I want to I share today some scriptures. I want to share some stories that I pray will refocus all of us on what I believe truly matters to God. You know, there's a, a, a lot of sideways energy in the world today. There's a lot of distractions for the church. A lot of infighting, culture warring, confusing, lesser narratives with the storyline God really called us to as his people. But we want to be kingdom builders, right? We want to be focused on what Jesus focused on, his glory amongst the nations. And in the midst of a divided world, I believe the global glory of Jesus is something that we can all unite around as the people of God. Amen? So let me pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that over the next few minutes, um, your spirit and your presence would be with us, um, that you would illuminate your word, that you would somehow illuminate, <laughs> take the foolishness of preaching, God, again, uh, and, and illuminate who you are uh, to us today. Lord, may we uh, have your heart, God, for the people of the world and to see every nation, tribe, and tongue come to know you. So, Lord, be here today, be glorified today, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, I grew up at Lakeview Church um, on the west side of Indy under the pastoral leadership of a man named Tom Pano. I think you guys know Pastor Tom. Uh, he turns, well, he is 99. I think he turns 100 years old this July, my childhood pastor. Uh, but to say that Pastor Tom was passionate for global missions would be kind of like saying Pastor Nathan is passionate about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, that has been a point of contention, really, in our friendship, really, over the years. I don't know how you can be a Steelers fan and a Christian, but, uh, you know, since you're actually from Pittsburgh, Pastor Nathan, we will excuse it, all right? Um, you know, we'll put up with it, but those towels, man, those towels, I just can't handle those towels. But I, I like to say, uh, growing up at Lakeview, that I slow-baked, all of us, we slow-baked in the Great Commission. We kind of marinated in it like mom's Sunday pot roast. You could not avoid it. The front parking lot of the church was filled with the flags of the nations. Um, it kind of looked like you were pulling up to the UN, right? I didn't know if I was going to church or I was going to the UN, right? And, and all of these flags, they surrounded this big um, sandstone monument that was inscribed with our church's motto, which was touching our world with his hands. And when you walked into the front lobby, there was a giant globe that sat on top of a spare change fountain. And I, I used to love to throw coins into that fountain and on occasion maybe pull a few out as well. But, you know, uh, Jesus and I have dealt with that, right, over the years. We had the, the framed pictures of the 300-plus missionaries that our church supported. They covered the walls of the lobby. And that was just the decor. I would say almost every Sunday featured a short speaking window from an itinerating missionary, you know, sharing exotic stories about supernatural things that God was doing around the world. We had annual missions conventions uh, that put missionaries in our home. They offered us like tastes of missions, smorgasbords in the gym where we could, you know, taste all of these exotic foods from around the world. And it always cul culminated every year with this kind of Disney-esque parade of nations 
featuring missionaries and their local garb and music that reflected God's love for his people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. One of my closest friends in high school uh, spent his primary school years as a missionary on the mission field in Bangladesh, and he still serves in the Arab world and a remote part of the Arab world today. So none of this was, was strange to us. This was just what God's people were supposed to be passionate about. You know, rarely, rarely did a sermon seem to pass without an appeal of some sort to take the gospel to all the people of the world. Jesus said, all nations. And we were going to do our part to make that come to pass. Some of you may have grown up like this as well. For others, this may seem like a strange thing. But I, I, I know this is a strong Great Commission church and a strong Great Commission movement. But I would also say, friends, it's not just the church. It's not just the church that has become globally aware. You know, in this unique moment in history, the power of the Internet moves global stories now at warp speed. Social media has connected the world in beautiful and terrifying ways. You know, if there's a, a mudslide in a small village in Southeast Asia, uh, the news, including graphic photos and videos, can, can literally go viral in seconds. When my parents were kids, it would take days or sometimes even weeks for the biggest stories to hit the newspapers. And now everything happening in the world is at our fingertips in mere seconds. That instant connectivity has created an almost unmanageable weight of emotional awareness and a, a deep, even if sometimes misinformed, passion for global justice. And in a common grace sense, I suppose some of this is beautiful. But here's our challenge as the people of God. You know, in its own way, even the secular worldview has grasped a passion for the nations. And I would say as followers of Jesus, we cannot lose ours. Now, I believe the greatest injustice in the world today is the disproportionate access to the gospel by thousands of people groups around the world. And that's why I am always so compelled to talk about global missions. It's also why two recent Barna surveys on global missions and evangelism both shocked and troubled me. According to Barna's research, check this out, according to Barna's research, over half, 51% of churchgoers do not know the Great Commission. They cannot tell you what that references or even pick it out of a lineup of scriptures. But perhaps even more disturbing... Barna also found that almost half of practicing Christian millennials, practicing Christian millennials, say evangelism is wrong. So not only does half the church not know about Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations, a whole bunch of us apparently think it's morally questionable anyway. And perhaps these responses reflect a, a pushback against some misplaced mission strategies of the past, perhaps. Perhaps they reflect a, a discomfort with that caricature of an obnoxious street corner bullhorn evangelist. 
You know, perhaps it's because some of our missions efforts have focused solely on, you know, counting salvations and not on the holistic resurrection power of the gospel in individuals, families, and communities. Perhaps. But I fear something worse. You see, in the midst of mass globalization, I fear the church may be losing its heart for the nations. I fear we may be pulling inward. And I fear the enemy is sometimes successfully uh, convincing some of us that, that doing good things in the world is an acceptable definition of missions. And that bringing Jesus into it just kind of, you know, complicates things unnecessarily. But as my friend Dick Brogdon, the co-founder of Live Dead, likes to say, I think we're in danger of turning the Great Commission into the Great Suggestion. But if we really love people, won't we move heaven and earth to tell them how their sins can be forgiven and how they can find union with their heavenly father and how they can function in the fullness of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes. So what is the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? Do you know? I'm guessing that the global missions DNA of Life Church, this church, far outpaces the Barna statistics that I just shared with you this morning. But the Great Commission, the Great Commission is Jesus' last instructions before he ascended into heaven to his followers. And these instructions, they're not just for certain Christians, for the professionals, for the pastors and professional missionaries. Jesus' words were aimed at all of us who call him Savior and Lord. It's a commission. It's a great commission for all believers. Let's look at it. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Jesus came to his disciples. He said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus said to go, to move out, to get going, to go forth and make disciples, to train followers, train those who trust Christ for their salvation and who adhere to Jesus with their whole lives. And then he said, of all the nations. The Greek word here is actually ethnos, ethnos, or people joined by similar customs or culture. We could better translate and break this word down, not really as a geopolitical nation state, like when we hear the word nation, but as people groups, ethnos, people groups. And Jesus said to go to all of them. And yet today, the Joshua Project estimates that there are as many as 7,400 unreached people groups, or UPGs as we like to say, in the world today. Unreached being defined as less than 2% of 
followers of Jesus. 2% is, is actually the percentage sociologists say it takes for any movement of any kind to sustain and grow itself. These people, these people groups require outside help. They require missionaries and missions investment. And many of these UPGs, they have zero or just a fraction of a percent. These 7,400 people groups, get this, total between 3.2 and 3.5 billion, with a B, a billion people and represent 42% of the global population. And did you know that less than 1% of all funds that are given to Christian ministry each year go to reach these 3.2 billion people? Less than 1%. (laughs) So if you wonder why we talk about global missions so much, this is why. We can't talk about it too much. There are people in the world today that are completely unreached with the gospel. You see, for many of these people, we're not just talking about a general disinterest in Christianity or maybe only having a small number of churches or Christians around them. We are actually talking about no access to the gospel. No access. If you are born into many of these people groups, you can live and die with ever as much as meeting a Christian, let alone hearing the life-giving message of the gospel. These people are what we call inconveniently lost. They're not easy to even physically get to, let alone make disciples of. And yet, Jesus told every believer to move out and make followers of every ethnos, of every people group. The call of every Christian is to make disciples amongst all nations. Now, since Genesis 3, the Bible tells us the story of a loving father in desperate pursuit of his lost children. And if we are the people of God, then we must have a missionary heart because our God is a missionary God. Again, Dick Brogdon says, what must define us, energize us, and propel us forward is to see every tribe, tongue, people, and nation reached with the gospel. Or I like to say, if you belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to you. So, I want to share a few Great Commission stories with you today. A few of these have come actually from projects the Stone Table and Life Church have even partnered together to underwrite in various ways over the last few years. And I hope they move your heart and your head the way that they have moved mine. The first is about a guy that I'll call Charlie. Um, On an island off the coast of Africa, a business English school is there, and it functions really as a marketplace blessing to the local community. This school provides English language lessons to locals that are desperate to get higher-paying jobs in the community's Uh, really robust and growing tourism industry. But this business, it also acts as a hub for a group, uh, a band of Great Commission workers, of missionaries that are planting the church amongst this 99.99% Muslim area of the world. 
I've had the joy of, of visiting this island well over 10 times. In fact, I was just there literally a month ago um, conducting some business seminars for almost 40 of the local business leaders. But back in 2020, uh, just as early reports of this little virus called COVID were beginning to hit the news waves, I was actually on the ground there with a group of students from my daughter's high school. And as I reviewed our daily itinerary for that trip, I noticed the leaders had circled Saturday night for a special surprise. And let me tell you, was it ever a special surprise? Because a few months earlier, a guy that we'll call Charlie had been hired by the school as a translator. And through his consistent interaction with the teachers, Charlie gave his heart to Jesus. And while Muslims are very open and interested in talking about Jesus, converting to Christianity is a bit of a problem. Uh, Because of Charlie's decision to leave Islam, his wife's family actually revoked her marriage to Charlie and took her away. They had given her to Charlie as a Muslim man, but now that he was a Christian, they were no longer obligated to honor the marriage union, even though she wanted to stay with him and was pregnant with their first child. Charlie's brothers have abducted him countless times, even tried to kill him. Uh, They are still threatening to kill him as recently as when I was there last month. They locked him out of his home. They took all of his possessions. Because of his new faith in Jesus, Charlie was literally left with only the clothes on his back. And yet, even amidst the horrible persecution that he was facing, he refused to renounce his faith and his allegiance to his new Savior, Jesus Christ. And he constantly expresses his desire. This is what we had a hard time processing. You know, we were praying for protection over Charlie and his friends who had come to faith. And he was saying, no, please, please pray for our families that they would come to know the Jesus that we know too. And that night back in 2020, we sat with Charlie for a few hours. We listened to him tell his story of unwavering faith in Jesus. We cried with him as he talked about losing his wife and their child. I mean, we were literally staring into the face of the persecuted church. And I'm telling you, I've rarely been moved so deeply. That is until our special surprise rolled around that evening. Because we gathered with all the students at the team leader's home and we walked with this small group of missionary English teachers across the road and down a small dirt path. We climbed down a steep rock embankment to a little inlet of the Indian Ocean. And there, we witnessed Charlie's baptism. And this picture here, (laughs) this is literally the equivalent of seeing a stadium full of people in other parts of the world. And all this happened because a group of missionary English teachers believed what Jesus said to go and make disciples of all people groups, even the inconveniently lost ones. And all of this also happened because a group of people like you believed what Jesus said and made it possible for this group of missionaries to go. You weren't physically there with Charlie that night when he was submerged in the water and raised to new life in Christ, but you were very much there with Charlie. And this picture, it hangs on the wall in my office as a Great Commission moment that I never want to forget. 
And today I can report that there is actually a, a small, nascent church growing up, growing up amongst this unreached people group under Charlie's influence and leadership. We just heard of multiple new brothers that had come to faith just this past month while we were there on the ground. So please pray, continue to pray for the persecuted church around the world. These brothers and sisters, they're literally risking their lives for their faith in Jesus. But I'm telling you, friends, God is at work amongst the unreached. And we have the joy of participating in what God is doing in his world. But let me bring the Great Commission maybe a little bit closer to home, maybe even a little bit uncomfortably close to home. <laughs> maybe you're like me and you had this uh, innate fear as a church kid growing up that God was going to call you to live in a hut in Africa. Anybody else have that? I mean, it's, it's legit. It's a real fear. Some of us are still dealing with the emotional trauma today. But I can tell you, whether you live in Beirut, Lebanon, or Lebanon, Indiana, the Great Commission, even some unreached people groups are actually closer than you think, even right here in Indiana. You know, I, I know illegal immigration has become a powder keg political subject today, and so I'm not here to talk about immigration border policy. I am here to talk about our opportunity and our responsibility to reach people for Christ who have come here from other places. You know, for Christians who know Jesus called to make disciples of all nations, there's actually a, real, a very real Great Commission opportunity around us each and every day. The word is actually diaspora. It's a term for any people group actually who leave their homeland and scatter abroad amongst other nations. You know, with the growing ease of global mobility, you know, compounded by war and poverty and other socioeconomic factors, it's actually created diaspora communities of almost every culture and nationality around the world. And some, if you're like me, might literally be in your own backyard. So we live in Avon, Indiana, over on the west side. We like to say the west side is the best side. Occasionally, they let us wander up here to the north side. They give us a few passes every year, um, so I'm using one of mine today, you know, to be here with you. But Avon, Avon is actually a, it's a very conservative suburb, like much of Indiana. It's the definition of the American heartland, of the Midwest. We have all these traditional suburban neighborhoods. We have basketball goals in almost every driveway, most of the housing developments back up to corn or soybean fields. You know, even though I'm just 25 minutes from downtown Indianapolis, it's not unusual for me to get stuck behind some big turbine, some big farm turbine when I'm trying to drive to work, maybe during planting season. Just a couple of years ago, my wife and I actually moved. We bought my in-law's house just up the street from our old one. But in our former neighborhood where we lived for a decade, just a minute up the road from where we live now, my next-door neighbor and his wife were practicing Hindus from Mumbai. He oversees the opening of new Speedway gas stations all over the United States. And his wife, she actually works for a large health care insurance company. And they were so proud of their son who had just graduated from pharmacy school. 
These people lived just next door to us. <laughs> and then the couple behind us, believe it or not, also Hindus who had moved here from India. He works for Salesforce in downtown Indianapolis, and his beautiful wife, when we lived there, she had just had this beautiful baby with the thickest head of black hair that made me so jealous. Across the street was an older Pakistani couple. I had a hard time connecting with them as his English wasn't very good, but every time he came to the mailbox or was mowing the grass, he would wave and give me the biggest smile. In the warmer months, a Sikh family would walk by our house every night after dinner in their full garb, including a, a tall turban for the man and the long flowing robes like I might see on the streets of Southeast Asia. Now listen, we live in the textbook definition of the Midwest, and yet my family was the only Caucasian family in the six continuous, contiguous houses that marked the, interest, uh, the entrance to our neighborhood. You know, we send and support missionaries all over the world as we should and will continue to do, and yet the world has literally moved into our neighborhood too. And this can scare us or it can motivate us. Until 2015, our real estate company owned an apartment complex in Columbus, Ohio that was made up of 80% Somali refugees. Somalis are one of the hardest UPGs to reach with the gospel in the world. We struggle to get teams into their country to reach them. Yet I had access to hundreds of them through the work of our business and missions organization. It's actually one of my deepest regrets that we didn't do more to reach out to them before we sold that property to another buyer. But I like to say it's almost like the Lord is winking at me a little bit. He's saying, you know, you, you say you love the nations over there, but can you love them right here in your own backyard too? Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnos. And the Great Commission, my friends, it's all around us. It's time for us to engage. We must have a heart for the nations across the world, in our own backyard, and in all our spheres of influence. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. I want to close with one more story. Uh, that has really stoked my passion for the Great Commission over the last decade. I actually shared it last night at the Kingdom Builders Banquet as well. <clears throat> you know, I've never been an outdoorsman. I was a Royal Ranger dropout at age 11. Uh, I hated camping. I couldn't tie any of the knots that I needed to get any of my badges. So I decided that helping out with crafts in the four-year-old class on Wednesday night was actually more my speed, right? This should tell you all you need to know about my lack of adventurous outdoorsman spirit. I am not Bear Grylls. But a few years ago, it was actually right as the stone table was forming, I found myself in the back of a Toyota Land Cruiser heading out for a night in the African bush. I was in Tanzania with my brother-in-law and a dear friend of ours from Lafayette, Indiana, who shares our passion for global missions. We were with one of the local missionaries and with a local uh, Datogue tribesman named Gil. And these guys had some big plans for us. I think they knew I was a little uncomfortable, so they knew they were going to kind of push me to my outer limits. 
And that started with a four-hour drive on dried-out riverbeds towards a place called Lake Yasi, which is a, a shallow salt lake in the Rift Valley of central Tanzania, uh, just south of actually Serengeti National Park. And my friends, this was old-school Africa. This was National Geographic Africa. This was Grass Hut and Stone Spears Africa, that iconic place that every church kid like me feared God was going to call him to go and live Africa. And we were on our way to visit the Datog tribe, Gil's people, actually, a nomadic tribe that live in this Rift Valley region of central Tanzania. And I'm telling you, if you look up the middle of nowhere in the dictionary... That is where we went. To this day, I tell people it was one of the most meaningful days of my life that I never want to experience again. (laughs) We bounced off the rough terrain of the riverbed for hours. I mean, we drove and we drove and we drove. We saw some exotic wildlife, including a brief encounter actually with a, a black mamba snake that thankfully ended well. But a few hours in... We crested this small hill and we noticed a woman walking along the side of the road. And she was carrying an infant in a cloth wrap on her back. A baby didn't look like it was much more than just a few months old. These are actual pictures um, from that day. So our group decided to stop and, and talk with her. And we took a break. We stretched our legs as Gil and our missionary friend began to engage this woman in conversation. And Gil would talk in the local dialect while uh, the missionary would translate for us so we could understand. And what I heard, what I heard, friends, it, it changed me forever. Forever. This baby's nose and mouth were covered by dry, crusted mucus. He had obviously been sick for a while. So this concerned mother was actually walking for miles to visit the closest witch doctor. This mix of uh, folk medicine and kind of dark spiritualism, it's really the only, it's the only health care most of these local tribes people know. And so Gil began ministering to her. He asked her if we could pray for her and for her baby. And then through the translator, I heard him say, we would like to introduce you to Jesus. And immediately her eyes brightened and she said, I would love to meet him. I will be back in my village later today. Can you bring him by? I will make some tea and we can talk. And I laughed. I laughed instinctively when I heard her say that. Maybe some of you did as well. But it quickly turned into a sober assessment of the reality that we had just encountered. Because, see, friends, I had heard about unreached people groups. But this was not some exotic story that I was reading about in a missions magazine. In that moment, I was staring into the eyes of a woman who had literally never heard the name of Jesus before. And this should trouble us. It should disturb us. It should keep us up at night. Because see, as the people of God gather to worship across the globe, just like we are doing right here today, the central question we must ask is, who is not here yet? Which ethnos aren't represented? 
And what could we do? What can I do to engage Jesus' great commission calling to go and make disciples of all nations? I want to close with Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you. Open your hearts. Just open your heart. Jesus cares about every nation, tribe, and tongue. And as his followers, so must we. It isn't optional. So how can we reorder our lives around what is important to Jesus? Is is Jesus asking you to pray more? To give more? Or is he maybe asking you to literally go? 3.2 billion people have no access to the gospel. We have to open our hearts. We have to open our hearts. But also open your eyes. The Great Commission is literally all around you. Literally. The ends of the earth might just live in in your own neighborhood. Look for every opportunity to share Jesus with the nations both across the globe and in your own backyard. I know that is the heart of this church. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. And then finally, I'll just say it. Open your wallets. (laughs) You know, our, our money is a reflection of what we value. It's a reflection of what we value. We need to be givers to the great commission calling of our Savior. We need to reorder our finances and our businesses, our business models around the mission of God in the world. I actually wonder what kind of creative ideas are actually sitting in this room today that might be able to move the Great Commission needle in significant ways. Do you know the word vocation? Vocation, the word we use to describe a career, a job, or, or what we might do for a living. That word, vocation, it actually comes from the Latin root or the Latin word vocare. Vocare, which means calling, means calling. And what I want to challenge all of you with today is is it's not just the full-time pastors and missionaries that have a calling. Every one of us do. You do. I do. And what is that calling as followers of Jesus? I would just say it this way. We're called to worship God, to love our neighbors, great commandment, right? We're called to make disciples of every nation, of every ethnos. Not one aspect of this true Christian vocation or calling has changed for 2,000 years. And so my challenge to you today, Life Church, is no distractions, no sideways energy, faithful worship, faithful service, Make much of Jesus with your life. 
if you belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to you. And with that, I'll turn the service back over to your pastor. Thank you. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.